the past, I guess since the beginning of January, we've been talking about this idea of dreaming and doing that. God has a deal for us. We've called it a deal, your future, a plan, purpose, good work, something. We've said God's got something for us, and our responsibility is really to discover that. He plants something in our heart, and we, we need to figure out what that is, and then we need to begin to do it. We need to begin to take concrete steps to see this dream become reality. As long as it stays in our head, doesn't do anybody any good. That's not where God lives. He lives out here among us, and as we begin to take concrete steps towards seeing this dream done, then God will bless that, and we'll, we'll see fruit in our life. So we said, this thing gets planted in our heart, that's, that's not us. That's God who does that. But then God begins to develop us, and he begins to develop this dream. Both of thing, those things are working. He's refining us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's doing all of that work that's preparing us to do our deal. And a lot of times that can be frustrating. A lot of that work is done underground. We don't see a lot of results. It can be not fun. But that's very important. And at the same time, God is kind of refining this dream in our hearts. One of the things I haven't said, but is true, Jesus says in John 14 that his father prunes fruitful branches so that they'll be even more fruitful. So this development thing is ongoing. You're never done with that. If you're fruitful, God is constantly pruning you so you will be more fruitful. We never grow out of that. It's just kind of a a process of God constantly refining us, molding us, shaping us. And then we've been looking at this idea of grow, and we've been stuck there for three or four weeks. And one of the things that we've said is grace is vital if we're going to grow. If this dream is going to produce any fruit, it has the seed has to be watered, and that water is God's grace. We have to put ourselves in a position to get wet. Otherwise, we have a dream, which is a seed that sits in the soil, which is our heart. If it never gets watered, nothing happens. You just got a seed in the ground, and it's never going to produce any fruit. And we talked a few weeks ago, we said during Lent, we're focusing on fasting and praying and giving, and those are things that we can do to expose us to God's grace. We talked about getting rid of the stuff that holds us back and trips us up, that allows us to receive God's grace. And last week, we looked at having a posture of faith, which we said is, is this, it's my arms are open to receive God's grace as opposed to a posture of doubt, which is my arms folded, which means I can't, I can't receive God's grace. So that's where we've been. Today I want to look at something that I think intuitively we all know is true, but it slaps us in the face a little bit, and our initial reaction when we begin to talk about it is, that's just not fair. What you're talking about is not fair, and I'll just straight up, it's not fair. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. I'm going to talk about something that's not fair at all, but it's real, and so our choices are to gripe or to live with it, and I vote live with it because complaining is not going to change it. It is what it is. We're going to pick up in Joshua 6, starting in verse 15, a little bit of background. What's going on? The book of Joshua is about the conquest of the promised land. In Genesis 7, Genesis 15, and again in Genesis 17, 8, God promises to Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan, and now fast forward, I think it's 450 years You've got Joshua, who's leading the people of Israel, who at this point is probably two million of them, and they're about to take the land. They're about to enter into the land that God is giving them. And Joshua is the leader of the people. Moses has died. Everyone who was in the wilderness who was over 20 years old, they're all dead. So we've got this new generation. They've crossed the Jordan River. It's a miraculous thing. The river parts. They walk across it. The first city they see is Jericho. You might remember this story. And God says, the way you're going to take that city is just you're going to walk around it once a day for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times and the walls are going to come crashing down. Whatever. So that's what he tells them to do. 
And that's where we want to pick up. So on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. So they've walked around the city seven times blowing their horns. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Now that idea of something being devoted to the Lord, that's a technical phrase. You'll see it a lot in Joshua that basically means you, you burn it. You're giving something to the Lord irrevocably, and really the way you do that is you burn it. So that, again, that's tough for us, but that's what's going on here. Kind of my thinking is God loves everybody more than we love anybody, so somehow all of this works. He's judging the people of the land of Canaan for centuries of sin. So we don't have time to get into that, just trust me. Um, Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall be spared. Because she hid the spies we sent. So Rahab is a prostitute who lives in Jericho. She has some type of, people think she had some type of, she lived in the wall. The wall of the city was wide. She somehow lived there. These Joshua sent a couple of spies in to spy out the land. They hook up with her somehow and she hides them. The leaders of Jericho find out that they're these Israelite spies and they come to Rahab and say, do you have them? And she says no. And she's got them hidden up in her roof. And the deal that they make is Rahab says, I will protect you. Don't kill me. And what the spies say is, everybody who you're connected to, get them into your house. And when we attack, y'all are safe. Anybody in your house, tie this little red ribbon out the window so we know it's your house. And anybody in, your, in this apartment or whatever, you're good. If they're outside, we're, we're going to take them. But if they're inside, they're good. So that's who Rahab is. That's the deal that they made. But keep away from the devoted things. So these things you've given to the Lord, you can't take so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the, tr- the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. So hear that. God's saying you've got to stay away from the stuff. It's not yours. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So all the good stuff goes into the treasury. Everything else is burned. Very clear. Don't touch the stuff. Starting in chapter 7, verse 1. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things, these things that were God's. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So they went up and spied it out. Now when they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will need to go. Just send two or three thousand men to take it. Excuse me, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? only we've been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other peoples of the country will hear about this. They will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then we'll, What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel's sin, they violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they've lied, they've put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been liable to destruction. 
I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You can't stand against your enemies until you remove it. So they do this, and they do this thing called casting lots. We don't fully understand that, but as they cast lots, it comes down that Achan, Achan is the guy. So pick up in verse 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son... Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. That's kind of an oath formula saying you've got to tell the truth. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they'd stoned the rest, that's all of his people, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Now, I know how you do with that. That's like we don't live there at all. That's not us. And when we, for most of us, when we hear something like that, our immediate response is, that's just wrong. That's not, no. That, what are you killing donkeys for? What are you killing his kids for? Why are you stoning his wife? That doesn't, that doesn't work for us. We live in a, individualistic society. If someone succeeds, our assumption is the reason they succeeded is because they made the most of their opportunities, they maximized their talents, they made good choices, and that's where they are. You succeed because of your hard work, your ingenuity, your brains, whatever. And when we're stepping over somebody on the side of the road, the assumption is the reason they're on the side of the road is because they made bad choices. They made bad choices, they wasted their opportunities, they squandered what they were given, and they deserve it. So whether you're high or whether you're low, you you're low, you deserve it. It's because of the choices that you've made. I'm all about choice. It's huge, the choices that we make. But that is totally not reality. It's not reality in the Bible, and it's not reality in the world that we live in, that we are 100% the, the product of our choices. Women, if you happen to be born in the Middle East instead of the Southeast, I'm talking about the Middle East of the world and not the Southeastern United States, your life is radically different. You had no control over who your mama was and who your dad was. And think of all of the things that have been opened up to you because of that. Guys, if we had been born 400, 500 years ago, most of us would be dead because we would have fought in a war and we would have gotten killed. All guys fought, and they fought hand-to-hand, up close with nasty weapons. Just, you, don't, you don't make it. We're... Whatever you, the luck of the draw, the grace of God, providence, I don't care what you call it. We, there are things beyond our control that contribute to our success or our lack of success. That's what this story is about. There were people who were connected to Rahab who were saved only because they were connected to Rahab. She made a very courageous choice to, ha- to house these spies. She, her, if the leaders of the city... I found out what she was doing. She's dead. She took a huge risk. And her kids and her husband and her friends, whoever was connected to her, whoever got into that apartment, 
benefited from her courageous choice. They didn't make the choice. Their neck was not on the line. But because they were connected to her, they received the benefit. Achan is the flip side. He made a horrendous choice. His sin cost the life of 36 soldiers and the implications that has for for their families as well as his own family. He lost everything. And the people who were connected to him lost everything because he made a sinful, selfish, greedy choice. Summertime is coming up. You might enjoy the swimming pool. Maybe you enjoy floating on a float in the swimming pool, which is great unless somebody chooses to cannonball off the diving board. That changes things. You didn't cannonball off the diving board. You're just minding your own business laying on the float. But you're affected by the cannonball off the diving board. You're going to get splashed. You might get knocked off your float. You're in the pool. And that's what happens when somebody jumps into the pool. That is the picture here. Rahab cannonballed into the swimming pool. And the, bl- the ripples that went out from her choice were good. They were blessings. Everybody in the pool with her benefited. Achan cannonballed into the pool. And the ripples that went out for him were negative, judgment. And everybody that was in the pool with him was affected by that choice. And again, there's a part of us that says that's not fair. It's not fair, but I think intuitively we all, it's true. We all know it's true. As much as we want to say this guy pulled himself by his own bootstraps and he made it happen, we know that's not true. There's a web of relationships that this person was born into There were opportunities that were given him that he did not ask for. And yeah, you make good choices, but you were given good choices to make. And as much as we want to step over somebody and say it's all, it's not true. We're born into a web of relationships and there's a spiritual connectedness that we all have. We're part of a, we're part of a group. Whether you've got a family, you've got, if you're a part of this church, then you're part of this church family. If you're part of another church, you're part of that church family. You're in a work environment. And there are connections in all of these relationships. And those connections either bring more grace into your life or they bring not grace into your life. Those are the only two options. So we're talking about the fact that we need God's grace in order to see fruit produced. One of the channels of God's grace is is this web of relationships. It's who you're connected to. Got it? It can be a little weird. Let me see if I can help explain it a little more. Hold on. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, verse 26. He's talking about, he's trying to describe us. And the image he uses is the body, the human body. He says, y'all are the body of Christ. We're all a part. You're a finger, you're a toe, you're an eye, you're an ear, you're a spleen. You're some part in the body of Christ. And you have a function in the body. None of us pick it. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, has grafted you into the body of Christ. You've got no choice. You can choose to stay home and you know, kind of keep your choice to yourself, but you're still a member of the body of Christ. So we all have a part to play, and one person can't say to another person, you're not important. One person can't say about themselves, I'm not important. That's not our deal. God put us together, and Paul says this in verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The picture there is... If, if you're hurting and you're in this body, we're all hurting. And if you're doing well and you're in this body, we're all doing well. It's this idea we're, we're connected. And it's different, obviously. The closer you are to somebody, the more you feel that. But you know that's true of your own physical body. If your back's hurting, your whole body's out of whack. It doesn't matter that your feet feel fine. If your back hurts, you can't walk. 
It affects your whole body. And that's what Paul is saying. We're connected to one another. And what's happening with one person affects the whole. It affects everybody that they're connected to. And again, it's different depending on how far away you are from somebody or how big the group is, all that. We'll talk about that in a second. What I want us to see today is this is true on two levels. It's true individually and it's true corporately. One of the verses we talk about a good bit is Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart for it's the wellspring, it's the source of life. The thing I want you to see is it's guard your heart. It is the wellspring, the source of life. You don't have multiple sources. You don't have multiple hearts. You've got one. Just like physically, you've got one heart. There's one source for all of your life. I don't know if any of your houses are on a well. Probably not. Misty's, my uh, in-laws live in the country, and their house is on a well. And they have one well that provides water for their whole house. It provides water for the garden hose. It provides water for the bathtub. It provides water for the kitchen sink. If the well is good, it's clean water coming out of the garden hose. It's clean water coming out of the kitchen sink. And it's clean water in the bathtub. If the well's producing dirty water, it's dirty water out of the garden hose, it's dirty water in the kitchen sink, and it's dirty water in the bathtub. It's all clean, or it's all dirty. They don't have a separate well for each room of their house. There's one. There's one source that provides the whole house. And the same thing is true for us. We've got one source. You've got one heart, and all of your life comes out of that one source, out of that one heart. We can't say, well, my work life, this is my source, and this is my heart. We compartmentalize. Think of your house, if you think of your life like a house, a lot of us, we have rooms. I've got my work room, and that's how I am there, and I've got my family room, and that's how I am here, and I've got my finance room, and I've got my these particular friends room, and I've got this other particular friends room, and we think that they're not connected. They totally are connected. What happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. The stuff that comes into your heart and comes out of your heart in Vegas comes into your heart and comes out of your house in Cobb County or out of your heart in Cobb County. What happens in the garage doesn't stay in the garage. It spills over into every other room of your house. If there's a fire in your bedroom and you close the door, is that going to keep the fire from spreading? Absolutely not. It might slow it down for a little bit. The fire is going to spread into every room. If there's a fire in one of the rooms of your house, you don't close the door, you put the fire out. But that's not what we do. We compartmentalize. One of the biggest lies of the enemy is this is your area. You can have this closet. Give God everything else. You keep this closet. It's just between me and you. Nobody has to know. They're going to know. That's why they're on the front page of the paper every week. It's people who had a closet and they kept the door shut and thought, I'll just keep this in here. I'll put the money back later. I'll end the relationship later. I'll quit the habit later. This doesn't have to affect every other area of my life. Every other area is good. I'm just going to keep this one closet and it's, it's my thing. If there's a fire in the closet, it will burn your house down. Put it out. There's one source. There's connectedness in our lives. We can't have... If your financial house is on fire... It will affect your relationships. The number two reason people divorce is for financial issues. You can't keep that separate from your relationships. If if there's a fire at work, it's going to affect you at home. You know that. You're going to be a jerk. You're going to be short-tempered. You're going to be grouchy. You can't do that. You cannot compartmentalize for long. You cannot. the, The goal is to be unified because that's how God created us to be. And ultimately, that's who we are. 
fire in one room will eventually burn down the whole house if you don't put it out. So that's individually, that's the case. We've got this connectedness in our life. And what's going on in one area is going to spill over to the others. So fix it. Don't shut the door. Just fix it. Because the reverse is also true. Blessings in one room. Blessings in the whole house. I was talking to somebody. I went to lunch with somebody this week who had a forgiveness issue with a brother. And he forgave his brother and it's changed his whole life. It's helped him at work on several areas. It's helped him with his wife. It's helped him finance. It's helped in a lot of areas. Taking care of this one, opening this one door, letting blessing come into this one area, this one relationship he has with a half-brother has spilled over into his whole life. It works both ways. It's not just a negative. It's not just Achan. It's also Rahab. Just like our choices negatively affect, our choices can also positively affect. Second area is corporately. And this one I think is a little more difficult for us. It's one thing to look at it in our own heart and say, yeah, I get that. It's another thing to recognize that what I do affects you and what you do affects me and, and can be so significantly. Uh, I was thinking, this is corny. That's never stopped me from doing anything before. So I was thinking about a way of trying to visualize. I was thinking of these tubes. This was the biggest one I could get. This is two inches in diameter. So this is the biggest piece of pipe I have. And let's just say, for me, my relationship with Misty. Misty's my wife. It's like we're connected. Will you stand up? We'll just do it on the shoulder. See, so we're connected by this. And so the good things that are in, you can put it down now. The good things that are in me are, are the, the stuff that's in me, good or bad, is coming from the Lord through this tube to her. The stuff that's bad, again, it's coming into me through this tube. And to, as long as we're connected, it's going to happen. Like there's going to be an exchange and the same thing works back from her to me. The stuff that's in my heart is going to get to her because she's connected to me. And because we're married, that's a close relationship. It's actually probably, the tube is probably like this big. Everything in me, good and bad, is going whoosh to her. We have three children. Same thing. Everything that's in me is going to them, the good and the bad. It's flowing from me, and, and I can't stop it. The only way to stop it is to sever the relationships. As long as we're married, as long as these folks are living in my house, that's how it's going to be. And the same thing is true for you. Whatever your primary relationships are, whether that's a best friend, a mom, a dad, a kid, whatever your, what your people, your core of your core, you've got this big old tube that is connecting you to them, and the good things in you are flowing to them, and so are the bad things. The Rahab choices that you make, when you make a choice for faith, when you make a choice that's courageous, when you make a choice that's loving, that opens you up to the grace of God, and the people who are connected to you, they feel the ripples of that. And it's good. And when you make an Aiken choice, they feel the ripples of that as well. You know this is true. Children of alcoholics are four times more likely to become alcoholics than other children. Children who experience child abuse and neglect are 59% more likely to be arrested as a juvenile, 28% more likely to be arrested as an adult, and 30% more likely to commit a violent crime. A third of abused and neglected children will eventually victimize their own children. Research suggests that if one spouse in a couple comes from divorced parents, the couple may be up to twice as likely to divorce. Spouses who are both children of divorced parents are three times more likely to divorce as couples who hail from intact families. Those aren't death sentences on anybody. That's just, that's reality. Exodus 34, 5 through 7 says this, The Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. That's what we just looked at. It, like, it might not seem fair, but it's reality. The stuff we do affects the people who are connected to us. God says the good stuff to the thousandth generation, the bad stuff to the third or fourth. We don't need to count generations at all. I think it's showing grace wins, love wins. A thousand is a lot more than four. And so we've got an opportunity if we make choices in faith We're opening up ourselves and everybody connected to us to receive more grace. And again, it depends on the level. Like um, the the small, this is the smallest tube I could find. I think it's one and a half inches. So like for me, with the for most of us in a big entity, the federal government, if you didn't get a bonus from AIG this week, they don't care about you. So the tube is really small between you and them. The choices you make, they don't have a big effect on what's going on in Washington. And the choices they make probably don't have a huge effect on you right now. It's a small tube, but the closer somebody is to you, your friends, the people you work with, the people that you're in church with, those choices have real impact. And again, to me, it's not a heavy thing. It's an opportunity thing. We have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to be a channel of grace to Ruth Allen and to Misty. If I'll live, if I'll make faithful choices, if I'll live in a posture of love towards them and towards the Lord, then I can, then my tube that's connected to all of you, no matter how big or how small it is, good stuff can come through that. And if I make bad choices and choose to live in doubt or choose to allow sin to reign in my life, then my tube connected to you, no matter how big or how small, it'll be a source of bad stuff. That's just, that's reality. And so I think for us, it's just saying, well, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a channel of grace to the people who are connected to you? Or do you want to be a channel of not grace to the people who are connected to you? Because you're going to be a channel of something. That's how God created us. He, create, he put us in a web of relationships. And the positive of that is if we make righteous choices, blessings to a thousand generations, a thousand might as well be forever. The guys that we read about in Joshua 6, they were doing what they were doing because they were connected to Abraham. In Genesis 17:8, God says to Abraham, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. Fast forward 450 years, and that's these guys. They weren't a twinkle in the eye of their great-grandparents when, Aaron was, when Abraham was alive, and they're inheriting this blessing just because they're connected to him. It's this idea that it'll, the, the blessings will go and go and go if we will make these choices that allow for grace to do that. So we're going to close in prayer. You guys can come up. This can be a little bit heavy. I don't think it needs to be. I hope you see it as an opportunity to be a channel of grace.